I open this morning with words from Unitarian Universalist minister Leila Ibrahim. We are not in community to be with people who want to sing the same music or rally for the same cause or attend the same retreats. We are in community to learn to love better. We disagree, we annoy, we flake out on one another. This is really only one choice. We gather together, we support, we hold, and we affirm one another. This one choice is the choice between imperfect community and no community. Again and again, we are all called to choose to commit ourselves to building a more just, more diverse, and yet ever messy and imperfect beloved community. I invite you now to join in singing our opening song as Bailey and Robin lead us. I'm gonna lift my family up, they are not heavy. I'm gonna lift my family up, they are not heavy. I'm gonna lift my family up, they are not heavy. If I don't if I don't lift them up, if I don't lift them up, I will fall down. I'm gonna lift my friends up, they are not heavy. I'm gonna lift my friends up. They are not heavy. I'm gonna lift my friends up. They are not heavy. If I don't lift them up, if I don't lift them up, if I don't lift them up, I will fall down. I'm gonna lift my people up, they are not heavy. I'm gonna lift my people up, they are not heavy. I'm gonna lift my people up, they are not Welcome this morning to the Washington Ethical Society. 
I am Amanda Poppy, the senior leader here. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am glad you are with us this morning, whether you are in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we know who you are and we can especially welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. We love talking about why this community is important to us and we are eager to hear what it is that you are looking for. We hope that you'll join us in the lobby after our platform service for coffee and cookies. And we also invite you to share your email with us on the gold sheet, which is in your program, so that we can add you to our mailing list. You can drop that in the collection basket when it passes later in our platform service. I want to remind you to silence your electronic devices so that you may be fully present this morning. But while you have them out to silence them, you are welcome to check in on social media and let all your friends and family know you're here. And finally, I want to note that this platform service is a bit different than our usual format. At the request of the group Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, an organizing collective which works nationally within the UU movement, we are joining with over 500 other congregations to offer a white supremacy teach-in, disrupting our usual way of doing things as a symbol of our desire to disrupt white supremacy culture and systemic racism. How that unfolds for us this morning will become clear as our platform continues. But I want to welcome you particularly to this somewhat different experience and to thank you for being part of it. And now I'd like to invite Dana Pope to come forward and light our community candle this morning and read our statement of purpose. For this month, as we are exploring the theme of courage, we are inviting our candlelighters to name a fear that they have faced or are facing. And so Dana will begin with that and then share our statement of purpose with us. So the fear that I continue to face is a fear of conflict, which I realized was actually a fear of ostracism and the idea that the person that I was in a conflict with wouldn't think I was important enough or that our relationship, was, excuse me, our relationship wasn't important enough to stay in it, to work through it. And our statement of purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate, appreciate each other's person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you so much, Dana. As Dana lights our community candle, I invite you to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. And this week I hold especially in my heart our siblings in Somalia, 
where more than 350 people were killed in a bombing by an extremist group. And also this week, women and femmes and all those who experience sexual harassment and assault. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. My name is Susan Runner, and I use the pronouns she and her, hers. We would like those people of color to join us in the social hall just across the way to have our own discussion today while our white siblings work on their own platform. Stefania, Trang, and I will be leading the group. We will return to the main hall before the end of platform. To our people of color friends, this is your choice and we hope you will join us. I want to invite those of us who remain into a time of meditation. Settle your body in the chair. Put your feet on the floor if that is comfortable. Close your eyes if you'd like. Take a breath in and let it out. Try that again, breathing in and out. As you continue to breathe, bring your awareness to your body. Notice any places you are holding tension, your shoulders or your stomach your feet, or your head. Perhaps that tension comes from the week you have had or the morning you had. Or perhaps it comes from your wondering what this morning here will be like. As we continue breathing in silence, simply notice those places in your body where you hold tension, 
Bring your awareness and your compassion to them as we continue to breathe together. Let me rise like a bird joyfully, and when I fall, let me fall like a leaf gracefully without regret. And when I stand, let me stand like a tree, strong and tall. And when I lie, let me lie like a lake, peacefully. And I think the most profound way that my life has been shaped by my race is through the power of segregation. Most white people do live in segregation. We choose that segregation. And in a lot of ways, we celebrate it. What makes a school good and what makes a neighborhood good? Well, 
the absence of people of color. That is the way that white people measure the value of their neighborhoods and schools. And while we don't come out and name that, we all know what it is. And so I have had to think very deeply on what it means to have grown up in a primarily white neighborhood, to be born into, to go to school, to study, to learn, to play, to worship, to love, to work, and to die in segregation and not have one single person who loved, mentored, or guided me convey that there was any loss. And I'm going to repeat that because I think it's very profound and I really want us to sit with it that I can live my whole life in segregation. In fact, if I follow the trajectory that my loving parents laid out for me in my good neighborhood and my good school and my good college and my good career in which I would ideally rise to the top, I could easily never have any consistent, ongoing, authentic relationships with people of color and not one person who guided me ever conveyed that there was loss. Just sit with that for a moment, that there is no inherent value in the perspectives or experiences of people of color. If my parents, if my schools, if my curriculum, if my teachers, if my government saw value in those perspectives, I would be given those perspectives, but I wasn't given those perspectives. And that shapes my relationships. It shapes what I care about. It shapes what I see, what I don't see, who I build my life with, and who I don't build. Good morning. Um, that was Robin D'Angelo. I recommend her work to all of you. My name is Laura Bradshaw. I'm white. I am descended from Northwestern Europeans, and my pronouns are she and her. I'm really honored to be here to talk to you today. This is like icing on my cake. I think it was three years ago when Amanda gave a platform about white supremacy, or maybe it was white privilege, and she used a quote by a woman named Adrienne Marie Brown, and it went, Things are not getting worse. They're just getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. I knew this was something we needed to do here at WES, especially in order to attract more people of color. Personally, however, I was frightened about what this might mean for me. When I thought about engaging with race and racism, I felt defensive, shamed, misunderstood, and to use today's parlance, Fragile. Many years ago, I had been called out by a black woman in an organization I was participating with. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember what the interaction was really about because in the moment, I was so mortified and I took what she said so personally that I literally decided this race stuff wasn't for me and I crawled back under that veil for 30 years. In November of 2014, when Tamir Rice was murdered, I decided that I needed to crawl back out and sort this race thing out in my mind. So I began poking around the internet. I couldn't imagine 
doing anything face-to-face with anyone. Um, That's how fragile I was. I just started to follow links, articles, social media, and commentary. The next summer, I found an online course which basically radicalized me. It tore the veil of ignorance away from my eyes and answered the sneaking suspicion that I had had about meritocracy in our country. Is achievement among races really just a matter of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, or is the playing field unlevel? In this process, I was relieved of so much internal guilt and shame because I discovered the racism I carried wasn't a reflection of my own moral character, but simply a function of being born in America. That is why it's called systemic. It is in the water and the air and the lens through which I've seen everything. Therefore, it, is, it has to be in the institutions of education and racial justice. Racism, or just the justice system, Racism is embedded within the very coding and conditioning of our lives. It is responsible for many of my implicit biases, and to undo it within myself will require significant effort for the rest of my life. The good news is, I discovered, I can actually do something. There is a role for me in undoing white supremacy, and especially among other white people. Because white people are kind of the problem, and so is whiteness. They are the thing that prevent equality from happening in our country. I used used to think that it was the job of people of color to fight for their rights and to fix racism. After all, they were the people with race. Not me. I'm white. But what more in the way of fighting could these people possibly do? It became clear to me that it was my turn, and at the end of the online course, the question I was left with was, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? What was I capable of at that moment? I decided I could commit to three things. First, I could become comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Just get used to that feeling. I could continue to learn by diving deeper into the material available on the internet, especially about American history beyond the narrative that was given to me as a child, and especially to listen to voices of color. I could maybe begin, uh, this is my third, I could maybe begin to show up and enter into the process of learning to bridge difference. I joined SURGE, SURGE stands for Showing Up for Racial Justice, and the first thing I did was I went to an action where I was given this (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, just dive right in. Um, And uh, we were encouraged to engage with anyone who noticed the t-shirt and especially to engage with white people who noticed the t-shirt. Well, suffice to say, it was an interesting afternoon. There are many chapters of Surge around our area. There's one here in DC, there's one in Montgomery County, there's one in the city of Baltimore, there's one in Northern Virginia, and I believe there's a fledgling one in Prince William, I mean, uh, Prince George's County. I've been amazed at how agile, kind, and inclusive the members are. They maintain a commitment to calling people in instead of calling people out. There are many learning opportunities and opportunities to take action. I'd like to leave you with two things. The first is we are all on a journey. No one person is an expert, and there is no one way to wake up. I've spoken to many knowledgeable people, including Robin DiAngelo, about this, who still grapple with discomfort and make mistakes. However, 
how could we not make mistakes? We are trying to untangle the very deepest conditioning of our personalities and lives. And finally, this is sort of a rally learned along the way, and I'd love it if we embraced it here at West. It goes, no blame, no shame, no guilt. Won't you say it with me? No blame, no shame, no guilt. Thanks, Laura. My name is Brenna Barber. Um, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Jesse Ben has a great article on the difference between white supremacy and white privilege. He discusses how white supremacy is the race-based hierarchy that the U.S. was founded on, with white, wealthy males at the top. Um, and that's the system that we have. White privilege is the, the benefit, the collection of benefits, really, that come from that system. He, a white man, says it's white privilege to walk into a room and be interviewed by someone who looks like me. It's white supremacy that made it so this is routine occurrence. They're obviously connected, but they aren't quite the same thing. Some of these terms might be new or newish to you or not. Um, some folks might feel a little put off by this kind of terminology. I think these words and their precision and their specificity are important because we, as white people, are generally fairly deficient when it comes to talking about race. That's not surprising. Uh, Robin D'Angelo, who we saw earlier, says that whites live in a social environment that protects and insulates them from race-based stress. And that because of this, whites have not had to build the cognitive or affective skills or develop the stamina that would allow for constructive engagement across racial divides. Almost no part of our society explicitly tells or shows people how to constructively talk or think about race in America. And obviously the culture that we're swimming in, the stuff we pick up implicitly, by default, just from passively existing, minding our own business, is profoundly unreliable as a guide because it's built on white supremacy. Racism is not merely a simplistic hatred. It is, more often, broad sympathy towards some and broader skepticism toward others. That's from ta Coates, and it's the definition of racism that helped things click for me personally. Sympathy and skepticism. Broad sympathy towards some, broader skepticism toward others. This was profoundly illustrated after Michael Brown was shot and killed when black teenagers took to Twitter, posting two photos of themselves. One where they could be viewed as a troublemaker. Maybe they were smoking, drinking, rapping, sagging pants and one where they could be viewed as wholesome. Maybe they were in uniform, in a cap and gown at graduation, or at school. They posted this, these photos with the hashtag, if they gunned me down, what picture would they use? It is heartbreaking that not only were these kids seen that they faced greater danger in our society because they are black, but also that their potential 
untimely death might be spun a certain way by the media. Who gets to have multitudes? Who is just a kid, just messing around? Who is potentially a criminal, up to no good? Who is someone we're scared of? More broadly, whose humanity do we see, do we recognize, do we allow? I'd like to share a reading from DeRoe Farrar. DeRoe is a queer black man who serves as music director at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Portland, Oregon. And this is part of a seven minute video which I'll post on the West Facebook page and recommend to you. He's addressing the majority white congregation um, that he serves and he's talking about how he chooses music and what goes into those choices. I love my blackness, but I am aware that it has been diluted by a need to move more easily throughout the white life I have built around myself. Yes, my blackness has been diluted in certain ways so that I can move more easily. More easily, that is, for you. DeRoe goes on to talk about the choices he made that particular Sunday using music that he didn't feel entirely comfortable with because it was um, traditionally coming out of traditionally black spaces and black traditions and had been imitated and redone by white artists and presented in a different way. When you ask me what white privilege is, I would say it is this power you have to not notice the music. When you ask me what white supremacy is, I would say it is this power that you have to be angry when I notice. West is a majority white congregation. Um, a multicultural congregation is when no more than one group is 80% of the membership. As a community, we've done internal and external work on race, including um, working for racial equity groups and talks, um, <clears throat> roadside remembrance as uh, sidewalk solidarity. Um, we've engaged with the Black Lives Matter movement with platforms, topics, uh, buttons, the banner that's on the outside of our building. Um, we have multiracial families groups, um, people of color groups, uh, and surge. We also participate outside of our, the walls at West with the Washington Interfaith Network, family and friends of incarcerated people, um, and other activities. Wes is taking steps um, and has the goal of taking steps to be a more anti-racist, anti-oppressive, and a truly multicultural congregation. As Amanda has said before, there really is no multicultural home for people of color who are humanist in the area. And also, our kids are significantly more racially diverse than our community of adults. And it's important to us uh, for us to create a space and a congregation that is truly home for them. Um, live in a world where there are many things that are not great right now. 
Um, and yeah, not not always wonderful. Um, and and we can change, but but this is something that we can change. Um, we can begin the work on racial equity uh, within ourselves, and it is very accessible, and it starts somewhat individually. Um, so we invite you to begin this work, to dip your toes, and come on in. Um, all you need to start is an openness, uh, curiosity, a desire to shed one's ignorance, and Google. We, in fact, want to invite you into this work today. And so this is the part that's going to feel particularly different from our usual platform. I'd like to invite you to move into small groups of about five or six people. You're just going to turn your bodies toward each other, move your chairs if you need to, and find a small group to be with. And then we're going to invite you to engage in those groups with these three questions. So our first question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being very uncomfortable, you feel it, tension held in your body, and 10 being very comfortable, how do you feel right now? The second question is, can you identify an example of white supremacy or white privilege here at West or in society at large? And then finally, what is one action you can take to continue this work? We're going to close our Facebook feed at this time, so we hope that those joining us on Facebook engage with these questions on their own and with family and friends. And I invite you now to turn in small groups to each other and have some conversation. Brenna, Laura, and I will walk around and be available for questions as you go.